0: between the omnipresence and the manifest presence. So the omnipresence of God is a kind of a big theological term, but all it means is just that God is present everywhere all the time, okay? Um, and then the manifest presence is when God manifests his presence. Um, like, I think these might be on here. So the omnipresence, there we go. So, and then the next one is the manifest presence, and this is when God manifests his presence, and everyone in that vicinity becomes aware of his presence. So his presence is here all the time. It's with us all the time. But when the manifest presence comes, there's an awareness. And um, I have this on sheet. The chief evidence that God has manifested his presence is God consciousness. So we come to places that we're conscious of his presence. Um, the manifest presence of God makes everyone with a spirit. So it's every human being, whether they're a believer or an unbeliever, conscious of God. So this is not... Um, not limited to people who are believers, we can see lots of examples um, throughout scripture and throughout history where God manifests himself to people who don't know him yet. And out of that encounter, um, I can, you know, one that comes immediately to mind would be Saul. Um, He does not know Jesus at the point that he encounters the manifest presence of God. He hears his audible voice on the road, and out of that encounter, he comes to know Jesus. So we see, you know, other times there's people that are following Jesus, and they encounter his presence. Um, and so we are going to dig in today into the life of Moses and how he grew to become so conscious of God's presence that he longed for God's presence and he wouldn't settle for anything less. So this is the journey that we are going to look at. Um, so the the main passage that we're going to be digging into today is going to be found in Exodus 33. Um, and so I would just encourage you. I have some passages. Um, they are, we are going to go through a lot of scripture. So if you have your Bible, like get your Bible out. We're mostly going to be in Exodus, so get your Bible out. A lot are going to be on the screen, but I have one passage that did not make it onto the screen that's going to be important. So if you can get your device out or your Bible, I'm just getting you ready because um, I think it's helpful to be able to, to see it as well. Um, and so, we're going to look at the journey that Moses went on as a leader. So, I want you to think of the, this today in three sections. So, Exodus 33 is our main passage. We're going to go back in time to the beginning of Exodus, look at some of Moses' journey that brought him to Exodus 33, and then we're going to skip to the end of his life right before he dies, okay? So, we are, we are going to cover Moses um, Moses lives to be 120 years old, so we got a lot of ground to cover. So I'm telling you today, I say this all the time, strap on your sandals, come with me um, in this exciting adventure. This is a wild story, okay? I always, you know, we talk about, do you ever, you know, see a good movie, and you're like, oh my gosh, that was amazing. It had adventure, and it had, you know, murder, and had tragedy, and it had excitement, and it had love. This is all of it. Like, all of it is here. And so if you want to dig into um, to this, and we're gonna—we're just gonna do a quick, you know, kind of snapshot of this, but dig into it um, more this week, which is so fun to be able to watch. And um, and just as a, a kind of a fun aside, when I preached, um, I think it was in November, I got a chance to be down here, and I used the term um, for you guys. It just so happened, and at that point, I talked about I was preaching. We were doing the Ezra and Nehemiah series, and I talked about how it just so happened that I was in that exact passage that week. Guess what, guys? It just so happens that I started the Bible Recap, and it just so happens that Exodus 33 was in the reading this week. Like, you can't make this stuff up. It just so happens that Joel is preaching this morning on Exodus 33 in Pittsburgh. It just so happens that the manifest presence of God is coming down on the College of Asbury campus. As we speak, there's a four-day revival that is in the midst And it just so happens that it's focused on the presence and the manifest presence of God coming down. You can't make this stuff up. And so I believe that there is an anointing on the word on this topic for this time. I don't know what this means for your life, but I know what it means for my life, you know, this week and what it's meant. Um, And so I am really excited about this in this moment in time in this place at Franklin Avenue that I believe that God has a message for us today. Um, <clears throat> so, as we dig in, Moses starts his life, he's born into a national crisis. When Moses is born, this is like bonus material, I have candy. When I talk to middle schoolers, I throw candy out. I should have brought some today, but when Moses is born, he's born into a national crisis. Can anybody tell me what crisis Moses is born into the moment that he comes into this world? That is very true. Slavery is going on, and the um, the Hebrews are enslaved. But there's another one, too. They're killing all the baby boys. Yes, they're killing all the baby boys. And so Moses should be dead from the moment that he is born. There's crazy God stories about how his life is saved. And his life isn't just saved, but his life is saved by Pharaoh's daughter, so Pharaoh's daughter um, gets him out of the water. Really cool stuff. And then it says that Pharaoh, um, that, that Moses is actually raised in Pharaoh's palace. Um, next slide says, in, in some of this, it's kind of fun. That if we look in Acts, it gives us some insights into Moses' life. And it says, Moses was educated in all wisdom of the Egyptians and was powerful in speech and in action. And so Moses was given, you know, this opportunity. He lived, so the hand of God, you know, has saved him, and in this time, he is raised, and he's given all of these opportunities um, where he's raised in the palace. And I want you to think about this, you know, and like I said, we're just kind of getting into Moses's background, because it's really going to help us to understand Exodus 33 when we get there today. Um, Moses would have grown up as an Egyptian, but he knew he was a Hebrew. His mom, there's crazy part of the story where his mom actually gets to, like, feed him um, the... gets to, to breastfeed him while he's growing up. And so he's actually, his mom is a part of raising him. Only God can do this. She actually gets paid to do that. I love that part of the story. It's one of my favorites. Um, she gets paid to do that. Um, and so he's raised, he knows he's an Egyptian, he, or a Hebrew, but he's raised as an Egyptian. And most likely he was circumcised, which would be an obvious, you know, hey, I'm a little different here. Um, and so this is what this looks like, you know, for for Moses, where he knows Um, that he's kind of like living in two worlds at the same time. And so in the next slide we see in Exodus 2, it says one day after Moses had grown up. And I want you to see, I'm going to jump to Acts 7 again. And it says in Acts 7, it tells us that he was 40 years old when this happened. Okay? So we now, we invite from Exodus 1 to Exodus 2, we've jumped 40 years. Again, remember how it's hard to tell in Scripture. You know, we can think like, oh, this just happened. You know, we can maybe think he's like a teenager. No, he's 40 years old when this happens. And it says this, one day after Moses had grown up, Forty years old, he went out to where his own people were, says the Hebrews, and he saw that they were in hard labor. We said it back here that they were in slavery. That is the national crisis that's going on. He saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, one of his own people, looking this way and that um, and seeing no one. He killed the Egyptian, and he hides him in the sand. So what is going on here? He sees what's happening. He sees his labor. He gets so angry. He knows he's going to do something wrong, right? He says he looks this way. He looks that. He murders somebody. He buries the guy in the sand and just goes on. But the next day he goes out and he sees two Hebrews fighting. So two of his own are fighting. And he asks the one, what's wrong? Why are you hitting your fellow Hebrew? The man says, who made you ruler and judge over us? Are you thinking of killing me like you did that Egyptian? Somebody saw this. He thought nobody saw this, right? You know, he murdered somebody. He buried them. He thought he was getting away with it. Now he knows. People have seen this. Moses was afraid. He should be afraid, right? And he thought, what I did must have become known. Verse 15, when Pharaoh heard this, he tried to kill Moses. But Moses fled from Pharaoh, went to live in Midian, where he sat down by a well. Okay? So at 40 years old, we have this crisis that happens where Moses he's trying to do something right he's trying to you know help a situation but he takes it too far murder is not the right way to handle this people see it he freaks out and he runs away and this is kind of like where you know we're like you know have no idea what is going to happen you know to Moses in this time so this time Moses is 40 years old Now we have on top of his identity crisis, he's a murderer, and um, he runs away, and he is not looking back. Here in Midian, there's some crazy parts of the story. Um, Moses meets... He goes to this well, he sits down, he meets some women, and then they take him to their dad. His name is Jethro. Jethro is one of my favorite Bible characters. I love Jethro. He's the priest of Midian. He becomes a huge mentor in Moses' life um, that we see, and he actually gives Moses his daughter in marriage. So Moses marries his daughter, her name is Zipporah. They end up having kids um, together, and Moses is essentially like a herdsman or a shepherd in the desert, and this um, period goes on. Um, But then we have an event that is going to change Moses' life and ultimately all of Israel's life forever. This is Moses' first experience that we know of, of the manifest presence of God. And so it's called the burning bush. We're going to look at this. This is in Exodus 3 if you want to turn to in your Bibles or on your phone. Exodus 3 verses 1 through 10. It says this, now Moses was tending the flocks of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian, he led the flock to the far side of the wilderness, came to of the mountain of God. So he, all he's this is a normal day, right? This is his normal day, his normal pattern. He's tending the sheep. This is going on, and it says in verse two, there the angel of the Lord appeared to him in flames of fire from within a bush. Moses saw, though, the bush was on fire and did not burn up. What a strange sight! Right? Like, he would have known fires, and typically when a fire happens, if anybody's, you know, seen a bush that catches on fire, it doesn't take long for it to, like, kind of incinerate to nothing. But here, Moses sees that there's this fire that is burning, and it's not changing. It's just, it's this perpetual fire that's going on. Verse 3, so Moses thought, I will go over and see this strange sight, why the bush does not burn up. So we make that sound very, like, Oh, let's go over here. I mean, I'm sure he's kind of freaking out. Like, what is going on? Okay, I'm going to go check this out. This is very strange. Verse 4, when the Lord saw he had gone over to look, God called to him from within the bush. So God himself speaks, right? This is the manifest presence of the Lord. And he says, Moses, Moses. Moses says, here am I. Do not come any closer, God said. Take off your sandals for the place that you are standing is holy ground. And then he said, I am the God your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. And at this, Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. Verse 7, the Lord says, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. Again, we talked about the national crisis of slavery. I heard them crying out because they're slave drivers. I am concerned about their suffering. So I have come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians. And here, listen to this. He is giving him. He is, we've talked about before, if you guys know, back with these Forefathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, there was a promise that was given that there would be this land, that there would be these descendants. And here we have God, who Moses is he's reaffirming the covenant here, and he says that I will bring them up out of slavery, and I'm gonna give them a spacious land flowing with milk and honey, the home of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Pezah. Um, the whole list of group. Michael always throws in the mosquito bites when he says it. Um, and now, cry of the Israelites, reach me! I have seen the way the Egyptians are oppressing them. Go now! I'm sending you to Pharaoh to bring the people of the, my, bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. Okay, look at this passage. This is a game changer, guys. This is a game changing passage for the entire nation, for Moses and the entire nation. Um, How old is Moses now? Let's go to the next slide. Actually, I don't even have it on here. I'm sorry. I have it in my notes. Acts 30. um, Acts 7, verse 30. It says, after 40 years have passed. Okay, math. If he was 40 years old when he went to the desert, how old is he now? 80. 80. Right. Good job. He is 80 years old. So again, we are in chapter 3. We have another 40 years that have passed. Think about what this would look like. So for 40 years, he's been kind of chilling with Jethro and his family. He's loving them. This is all going well. I think he's probably like, Whew, I feel like things are settling down. And this is great. And then all of a sudden, the burning bush encounter at age 80, and everything is going to change, okay? Um, and so God is calling him. But we see that Moses' response is tied to his wounds and his identity issues, That have happened because this is what it looks like. So I'm going to show you, and I have it on your list that there are five excuses that um, that Moses uses. Number one, excuse number one, he says, you know. So God tells him all this, and his first exact thing that he says is, "I'm not good enough." He says, "Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out?" And God says in verse 12, the next verse, He says, "It's okay. I'll be with you." And then we have this excuse too. He says. I don't have all the answers, and God says to him, you know, God says um, his response to him again. He says, "I am sending myself with you," and he gives them the promise: it's a land flowing of milk and honey. And then excuse number three, they're not going to believe me. The people aren't going to believe me. Moses says they don't believe me or listen to me. Um, they won't believe that the Lord appeared. And then God starts giving him signs. Does he remember? This is kind of fun. What are there? Is three signs. Two signs and then one bonus sign that God gives to him. One is with a staff. So what happens in this moment? God says, take your staff and throw it down and... Yeah, it's going to turn into a snake, right? And then he says the second sign, there's a sign where Moses puts his hand into his cloak and what happens to his hand? It turns into leprosy. This is not good. And then he takes it out, and God heals it. I mean, these are pretty crazy miracles. You know, God's like, hey, not only am I showing up at this bush that's not, like, going away, but, like, I'm showing you these things. And then he says, hey, if those two things don't work, I'm going to give you these signs when you go to Pharaoh, but if those two things don't work, take some water from the Nile, throw it on the ground, I'm going to make it turn into blood, And then I'm going to make it back again. And then, you know, they'll believe that. So here God is, you know, responding to the won't believe me with, like, these crazy miracles that he's showing him. Number four, this is like, okay, clearly he's not getting the picture here. Um, He says, you know, the fourth is he says, I'm a terrible public speaker. Now this one is a little bit interesting. Maybe he is a terrible public speaker. You know, that very could be true. But remember, we did find out in Acts that it does say that he was... Um, learned in, um, in the exact wording to go back and look at it but it basically just says that he was, he was taught even in speech so maybe he just failed speech class you know maybe he was taught but really wasn't that good that could be the case um, maybe it is just an excuse right sometimes we have things where we're just like I don't want to do that so this is what I'm going to do but in this place um, God says I made your mouth right? I can do anything, but then he also, I love, like, God's just so compassionate here, and he's like, I'm going to send your brother Aaron, um, and he'll be in your mouth, and he's the one that's going to speak for you, so God's like, whatever, you know, we don't know the answers. Into you know, that, but the Lord um, does this in Exodus 4. It actually says that Aaron is already on his way. This is just bonus material for the day um, for you guys, but this is also one of my absolute favorite passages in scripture because before any of this is even happening, God actually is sending Aaron on his way. And I had a really cool encounter with this um, a couple years ago. Michael was transitioning out of real estate. And, um, you know, it was one of those things where I didn't know what it was going to look like. You know, we had worked together for 14 years. And I had an assistant who was working with us who was already licensed and already doing some things. And I felt God gave me this passage. And he's like, she's already on her way. And I've got you covered. And I couldn't have done what I did with real estate if it weren't for the fact that she was already on her way. And I just felt like the Lord was like, "Here's this is for you. Um, And so where are the places where God's, think about like his faithfulness in your life where he was already sending people on their way before you even knew you needed it, there was something in place. Like that's so cool to recount his faithfulness. And then number five, he says, I'm just not qualified. I love this, the verse he says, pardon your servant, Lord, please send someone else. (laughs) Like, that's the wording. Like, it's just like, okay, none of these other excuses are getting through, so I'm just going to come out and say it. Just send somebody else. Um, And God keeps telling Moses, I'll be with you. My manifest presence will be with you. I'll help you. I'll give you signs. I'll send you a helper. On and on. Moses does not want this, but listen to this, guys. In the end, he says yes. Yes. Right? God can do immeasurably more than we can ask or imagine when we just say yes. He doesn't even care if we have tons of excuses. He doesn't even care if we feel disqualified. He just wants our yes. And I believe that that's some of where he does his best work. Um, So, this is all the bonus material to get up to our passage today. There's already a lot, right? This is exciting. So, in our passage today, we are at Exodus 33. Um, and I want you to see this. This is interesting. So we're going to look at Exodus 33. This is on your handout, verses one through four, and then twelve through fifteen. And there's a reason we're going to cycle through it this way. Um, but so now we have Moses has you know he said yes. So what has happened since here? He said yes. He goes to Pharaoh. There's the ten plagues. They leave. They cross over the Red Sea. They have. All these amazing things that happen right before Exodus 33, we have the place where Moses goes up to get the Ten Commandments, and there's a crazy part of it. This is Exodus 32, okay? So he goes up to get the Ten Commandments, and Aaron is down with the people, and it's taking a little while, right? So they start to get a little frustrated, and this is um, another um, question, what happens When Moses is up here, Joshua's on the mountain. He doesn't go up, but he's standing on the mountain, and Aaron is down here. Does anybody remember what happens in the camp? That is not good. They make an idol, idol, right? And this is so interesting. When you read it, you know, it says that, you know, they're, like, complaining to Aaron, and Aaron says, bring all your stuff to me. And then it actually says that he, like, takes the gold, and he forges it, and he, like, forms it, And then, you know, when Moses comes down, you know, he's so angry. His anger burns. He's like, what are you doing? He throws the tablets on the ground. And Aaron says, I don't know. I just threw the golden and it popped out a calf. (laughs) You're like, you're a liar. You're such a liar. Um, So this is right before this passage. This is what has happened. And so God has, they're actually, they end up like in a, like a, um, uh, a war that, like, you know, God sends out the Levites to 3,000 Israelites are killed on that day as they're purging the camp. This is not pleasant stuff that is happening. And then we come into this passage. So Moses is really being tested as a leader, um, but we're going to see what's happened, you know, in Moses' life that brought him to this place. <clears throat> and so in Exodus 33, it says this. Look carefully at this. So we're going to start with verses 1 through 4. It's on your handout if you don't have a device or a Bible. Then the Lord said to Moses, leave this place, you and the people you brought up out of Egypt. Go to the land I promised on an oath to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, saying, I will give this to your descendants. I'll send you before you. I'm going to drive out all these nations. Go to the land flowing of milk and honey. But I will not go with you. Because you are stiff-necked people, and I might destroy you on the way. So here God's saying, I'll give you land. I promised you this. I am a God who I will follow through with every promise that I say. But I'm telling you, you are stiff-necked people. Look at what you did last chapter, what you just did with the, um, the golden calf. You didn't care about me, so I'll give you land, but I'm not going, Okay. Now let's look, jump to verse 12. Moses says to the Lord, you have been telling me, lead these people, but you have not let me know whom you will send with me. You have said, I know you by name and you have found favor with me. If you are pleased with me, teaching me your ways so that I may know you and continue to find favor with me. Remember that this nation is your people. The Lord replied, my presence will go with you and I will give you rest. Then Moses said to him, if your presence does not go with us, do not send us up from here. How Moses has grown since the burning bush. He now says, I know you say you're going with me, but I do not want to go if you are not with me. In the burning bush, he said, I know you're going to be with me, but just send somebody else. I don't care if you're going to be with me, right? At that point, you know, when he is in the beginning of this journey, he's like, Okay, I know you're saying you'll go with me, but like, I don't even want to go at all. Now he's saying, if you're not going with me, I'm not going. Um, he doesn't want the promised land if it's not with God. He says, don't give me the stuff if I can't have you. How many times do we say, give me the stuff, and I don't really care if you're with me. He, de- he wants the giver of the blessing and not the blessing. Guys, how many times do we want the blessing and we miss the giver of the blessing? He has come to a place where he is saying, I want you more than anything. There has been a healing and a transformation that has happened in the presence of God himself. And where do we find this? And this is where we're going to go to that middle section. Look at verses 6 through 12, and it says this, Exodus 33, verse 7, between verses 6 through 12, 7 through 11. It says this, and I love this. Look, now Moses used to take a tent, okay? So this is explaining What's happened? Like where did this transformation come from? Moses used to take a tent and he pitched it outside of the camp some distance away and called it the tent of meeting. Anyone inquiring of the Lord would go to the tent of meeting outside the camp. Whenever Moses went out to the tent, all the people rose and stood at the entrance to their tents, watching Moses as he entered this tent. As Moses went into the tent, the pillar of cloud would come down and stay at the entrance while the Lord was mit- spoke with Moses. Listen, whenever the people saw the pillar of cloud standing at the entrance of the tent, they stood in worship at the entrances of their tent. So they're watching this, right? So this tent is somewhere out there. They're at their tents, and anytime they would see Moses go, they'd see this cloud come down, and they're watching this, and they would worship. And then it says this, The Lord would speak to Moses face to face as one speaks to a friend. And then Moses would return to the camp, but his young aide, Joshua, son of God, did not leave the tent. This is the secret sauce. Moses has grown in practicing the presence of God, and he will continue from here until the end of his life to let this be how he encounters the Lord. So this is where the transformation happened. Because it's saying, Moses used to do this. This was a regular pattern of his life. And so we see that when it comes to the place where God's like, I'm going to give you the promised land. He's like, no, I don't want it without you. So what do we learn from this part of the passage where we see Moses in the tent? That Moses goes to the tent to speak to the Lord. God spoke to Moses as to a friend face to face. Joshua, think about this. Moses, his aide, follows his example. Think of the lessons that Joshua is learning in leadership, and Joshua does not leave the tent. What is, this is the best
1: breeding ground for
0: the leader that's going to come be behind jo- behind Moses. Joshua is going to be the leader, and this is where Joshua gets his qualifications, is that he stays in the tent and he keeps meeting with God and he encounters the presence of the Lord. This will be the pattern of Moses' life until he dies. In Exodus 33, Moses has gone through a fundamental shift in his life as a leader. It is a transformation of the deepest kind, in which visions of grandeur and the allure of greatness no longer hold the attraction they used to. I have this on your sheet. If your presence will not go, do not carry us up from here. And this is what this looks like. How deep did Moses' transformation go? To see the deepness of this, we're going to look at the very end of his life in an incident that happens right before he dies. <clears throat> Toward the end of his life, we find a passage in Numbers 20, verse 8. And there's no water once again. This is a common thing that happens where the Israelites come to places, there's no water, they're you know, complaining and grumbling. And Moses is told to speak to the rock but in his frustration, he strikes the rock in front of the Israelites instead. Instead of speaking, and this is what God sends, says to Moses. And so, if we look here, this is um, in Numbers 20, and it says this: In the first month, the whole community of Israel arrived at the desert. Um, Miriam was died; she's buried there. There's no water, um, and so the people are quarrelling. <laughs> they say again, "If only we had just died, why did you bring us out of the wilderness?" Why'd you bring us up out of Egypt? You know, again, they forget. There's no grain, there's no figs, grapevines, pomegranates. There was no grain, figs, grapevines, and pomegranates in Egypt. They weren't being blessed with all this food. They are living delusionally here and then remembering back to something that wasn't even true. Moses and Aaron went from the assembly to the entrance of the tent of meeting. They go out to the tent, right? There's a crisis, so what do they do? They don't try to nail it on their own. They go out to the tent. They fall face down and the glory of the Lord appears to them. And he's, God says this, take the staff, you and your brother Aaron, gather the assembly, speak, listen, speak to the rock before their eyes and it will pour water out. You will bring water on the rock for the community so that they and their livestock can drink. So Moses and Aaron, they get the word. They go into the tent, they get the word. In verse 9, it says Moses took the staff, he and Aaron gathered the assembly And he says this. Moses says, listen, you rebels. (laughs) He's annoyed. He's good reason to be annoyed. Okay? Like, let's face it. We must bring you water out of this rock. Moses raises his arm, and he strikes the rock twice with his staff. Water gushes out, so it works. Right? Like, he's supposed to speak, but he hits it. But God, you know, the water still comes out. And the community and their livestock drank. But look at verse 12. But the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, because you did not trust me enough to honor me as holy in the sight of the Israelites, you will not bring this community into the land that I have promised. Okay. This passage was so hard for me for so long. I looked at this and I'm like, this is, okay. He was angry. These people are crazy. And he just struck the rock. Like, yeah, he was supposed to speak. Uh, But it just seemed like such harsh punishment. Um, God said, I I will let your eyes see it, but you will not cross over. Um, But now we're going to look at the end of Moses' life. And this is not on the screen. This is what I need you to turn to if you're able. Deuteronomy 34, um, verses 1 through 12. So if you have a device or your Bible, turn to it. If you get there, put your device up or your hand up, your Bible, so I know that you're there. Because this is so important. We got somebody. So Deuteronomy 34, verses 1 through 12. Who's there? Anybody there? Okay. All right. This is the very end of Moses' life. Look. Then Moses climbed up Mount Nebo. Okay. Moses is now 120 years old. This is the end of his life. Okay. He's 120. This is pretty impressive that he climbs up Mount Nebo. All right. So he climbs up Mount Nemo from the plains of Moab to the top of Pisgah, across from Jericho. There the Lord showed him the whole land. So he shows him this whole land. And God says, this is the land I promised to give Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I said I would give it to your descendants. I've let you see it with your eyes. But you will not cross over into it. Okay? There's a part of me that's like, oh, this is really, really rough. But, guys, it gets really, really good. Okay? And Moses, the servant of the Lord, died there in Moab. And the Lord had said, he buried him opposite of pure. um, so saying nowhere, nowhere to the grave. listen, so here we, there's where we found it. Moses was 120 when he died. Listen, his eyes were not weak and his strength was not gone. Like, this is pretty impressive. Like, if I'm going to live long, I want this kind of, like, this longevity. And it says the Israelites grieved for 30 days until the time was weeping. It was over. Look at verse 9. We talked about this. Joshua, the son of Nun, filled with the spirit of wisdom because Moses has laid his hands on him. Joshua spent this time, the Israelites and listened to him and did, so we have a transfer of leadership to Joshua. Look at verse 10. Since then, no prophet has risen in Israel like Moses, whom the Lord knew face to face, who did all the signs and wonders that the Lord had sent him in Egypt to Pharaoh and all the officials in the whole land. For no one has ever shown the mighty power or performed the awesome deeds that Moses did in the sight of all, all Israel. So, the key here, the events of Moses' life prepared him for this moment. Because he left the house of Pharaoh to find God and find himself in the wilderness, it prepared him for this final letting go. Moses learned to be a person of the presence, and this is what prepared him. Listen, guys, this is it. This is what prepared him to be able to sit on the side of the mountain, utterly content in God's presence. His identity is a son who knew God face to face. The next slide says this. For Moses, this is from Ruth Haley Barton, for Moses, the presence of God was the promised land. Listen to that. For Moses, the presence of God was the promised land. Next to that, everything else paled in its significance. Moses had been so changed by the journey that he was completely at peace With God and himself, nothing of this world had any hold on him at all. If we can learn to enter into God's presence, the things of this earth will strip away. What matters for Moses on the mountainside is just being in the presence of God. Moses can look down. Listen, this is it. Moses can look down. He can see the promised land and be content because the promised one is next to him, and that is far greater than the promised land. He did not need the promised land because he had the promised one. So are we saying yes to Jesus in the deepest possible way? Are we seeking him face to, to face? Are we letting the things of the world fade away? I have these couple quotes on your um, your sheet there. <clears throat> Ruth Haley Barton says this. If we live long enough like Moses, we will pass through a season in which, by God's grace, we begin to re-envision what the promised land really is. We may sense an inner shift as we open to the possibility that maybe we are not going to see all our dreams come true in this lifetime. While some of the things that we had hoped for and dreamed for have come to pass, others have not. God's spirit starts witnessing with our spirit in a subtle or not so subtle way about changing that is coming. A change that will involve letting go as God begins drawing us more completely to himself. A.W. Tozer says this, The presence of God and the manifestation of the presence are not the same. There can be one without the other, right? We can have the omnipresence without the manifest presence. We can be wholly unaware that God is with us. We can be wholly unaware that he is in our midst. God is here when we are wholly unaware of it. He is manifest only when we are aware of his presence. Listen, on our part, there must be surrender to the Spirit of God, for his work is to show us the Father and the Son. If we cooperate with him in loving obedience, God will manifest himself to us, and that manifestation will be the difference between a nominal Christian life and the radiant life in the light of his face. We have a choice. Are we going to find what the tent of meeting looks for us in our lives? Are we going to spend time in the tent of meeting in his presence? When things go bad, are we going to run around like chickens with their head come up, cut off? Or are we going to run into the tent of meeting and fall on our face and worship him and just say, I want you more than anything, And whether you change my circumstances? I don't care. I just want to be in your presence. And your voice is like honey to me. Your spirit speaks to my spirit. And when nothing else changes, there is a peace that passes all understanding that comes on me. Brother Lawrence says it like this. The most holy and necessary practice in our spiritual life is the presence of God. That means finding constant pleasure. In his divine company, speaking humbly and lovingly with him in all seasons, at every moment, without limiting the conversation in any way. Guys, this is the opportunity that we have. This is the invitation. God says, I know that you're like Moses in the beginning, right? I know that that's where the beginning of the journey starts, like for all of us. But Moses made intentional choices where he said yes. And out of that meager yes, he starts to encounter the presence of God. And out of the place of encountering the presence of God, he comes to transformation, where at the end of his life, nothing else matters except the promised one. Even the promised land pales in comparison. And so the questions that I have for you are what ideas of promised land here on earth do you, do I need to lay down to take hold of the promised one instead. How can you begin to see God's company more and more, spending time as a friend face to face? Guys, this is the opportunity that we have, and I would just encourage you to really ask yourself these questions. I believe that God wants us to be a people of the presence. I believe that He wants to transform us, and I believe that He will. I can tell you, in my own life, there has been encounters and transformation with the presence of God. My circumstances often have not changed, but He has met me in the deepest of ways. He has given me His sweet, still voice. He, he has given me dreams. He's given me visions of Him that have transformed me from the inside and out. He has given me direction for things that if it didn't come from Him, it wouldn't even make sense. But it's come in the secret place. It's come in the alone times. You know, guys, I think oftentimes we think it's going to be in the gathered spaces. I love being gathered. I believe we hear the Word better together. I believe there's confirmation that comes from what happens in the tent of meeting when we come together. But if you try to skip over the tent of meeting, you try to just make it that you're just going to hear God with other people or get a word from somebody. Guys, that's not how it works. He wants to encounter you as a friend face to face. And you have the chance every single day to set a time aside to be able to do this. Um, Brother Lawrence, I love that he came to a place where there wasn't even a set time. It was just all day, every day. He was just in God's presence as he was doing the dishes at every part of what he was doing. God is what it looks like. I believe that's what it looked like for Moses. He went to this place where he's like, I don't want to go anywhere with you. And he comes to the place where it's like, I don't want to go anywhere without you. Let that be the cry of our hearts. And we say, even so, Lord Jesus, come